Hello, everyone, and welcome to It's on the List. I'm your co-host, Sammy Holty. And I'm Jerry Hartman. And today, we're getting to the underbelly of performance and not just um, Hollywood, but the industry as a whole. Uh, So we're going to be talking about David Cronenberg's 2014 Maps to the Stars and Paul Verhoeven's 1995 Showgirls. Hell yeah. Um, Excited to, to dive into these two pretty brutal, bleak, yet... Also comical. Yeah, it's films? like I, I had a great time watching them despite all the depraved content. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Ex- I'm excited to dive in. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to start with maps today. And uh, Jerry, I know you're a big Cronenberg guy. I am. Um, so I'm excited to uh, listen to you talk about him a little bit. What do you think about him? What's your What's your overall take? Yeah, so he's he's been one of my favorite guys for a while. Um, when I was a kid. I think the first one I saw was The Fly. Like, I definitely got more into his full-on body horror stuff when I was younger. Because, you know, I was a young kid at a sleepover. Like, let's watch some gross shit. Yeah. And he kind of... He has a lot of movies that fit that mold. But then there's always more stuff going on that I think I at least subliminally kind of took in when I was a kid. But, uh, yeah, I've watched... Most of his stuff over the years, I haven't seen M. Butterfly and I haven't seen Shivers. Like, there are a couple mm-hmm. early ones I'm missing, but most everything from The Brood up I've seen. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I think I think he's pretty great. Um, Do you have a favorite? Yeah, probably Crash. I'd say Crash is my favorite, but my top tier is probably, like, Crash, Cosmopolis, and uh, A History of Violence. Those okay. are probably my big three. Okay. But yeah, huge fan. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I would say I'm also a pretty big fan. Probably not to the extent of you, only because I haven't seen everything. Sure. I'm pretty limited. And honestly, even I'm kind of like a, in a very love, mid and hate relationship. Like I think the mm-hmm. the brood sucked. Like I really didn't like that movie at sure. all. And then something like, um, I don't know, Dead Ringers was like all mm-hmm. right to me. And then Videodrome, Cosmopolis, Map to the Stars, Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, his newest, I definitely. Oh yeah, Crimes of the Future yeah, is of the future probably is awesome. in my S tier at so, this point. And I and I, I yeah really like all those films. So yeah, well you'll definitely love Crash. We we got to hit that. Yeah, one of I'm these excited days. excited to do that. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely a fan. Definitely enjoy. It. Obviously, his his newest stuff to me is like really really yeah really interesting. His so, 2010s run is great. Um, it's it's funny actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, I had I'm pretty positive The Fly was my first one, but I think. When I first, like, got into him and, like, kind of watched his movies as Cronenberg movies was weirdly enough when A Dangerous Method came out in 2011, which is his one with Michael Fassbender and Viggo Mortensen where they're playing Young and Freud. Okay. (laughs) Which is a very, like, weird movie for a 12-year-old to get hooked on, but – and it's it's not even one of his body horror ones. Like, it has a lot of his reoccurring themes. I mean, it's obviously very Oedipal, Mm. like many of his movies, including the one we're going to talk about today are, but – um. Yeah, I think I just kind of watched it because it was sort of an awards buzz movie, and I was at the place in my life where I just watched, like, basically every new release. Got it. And so I feel like that's actually sort of what kicked me off, which is just kind of funny. funny to think about, absolutely. Because it's, like, one of the least Cronenberg-y Cronenbergs in a way. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, Maps to the Stars, initial initial thoughts before we go deep. Oh, yeah. It, it was awesome. It, it, it was sick. It's... um. 
very funny, I thought. Like, definitely one of Absolutely. his funniest movies. Absolutely. I, I was giggling throughout. Um, obviously, it's also very depraved. And I, I think just kind of broadly what struck me most about it is I feel like I often think of his style as generally very, like, clinical more than it is expressionistic and that's sort of the case here but there was way more like impressionism in a lot of the scenes and like some surrealism sometimes going on that felt pretty fresh for him so yeah i mean really fucked up really funny just good time at the movies yeah what what did you think yeah i love this movie this is my my kind of contribution this week Mm -hmm. because i've been wanting jerry to watch this for a long time because i thought he would he would love and appreciate it i definitely as much as myself so yeah huge fan same things i thought it was super funny and and what you were saying about uh the stylistic uh choices he made in this outside of i mean you know cosmopolis is not really body horror oriented either Um, yeah although crimes of the future i would say still constitutes as such but this is like everyone just looks sick in the center of the frame like they're it's just like skin texture and like yeah things like that that just make your skin crawl just by virtue of someone literally being on camera yeah i I think on some level i mean they're very different movies but in terms of just like the body transformation element that's like in a lot of his work this one kind of reminded me of a history of violence a little bit just in the sense that it's like nobody's becoming bugs or anything but it's sort of about personas and like the masks people wear and there's like some sort of quasi transformative stuff in that sense i just think it's interesting how that does seem to wriggle its way into all of his movies just to varying levels of like explicitness i guess yeah yeah so the movie stars julianne moore I'm going to go, I used to know how to pronounce this, Mia Wasikowski, I think, is how you say it, Uh, John Cusack, and Robert Pattinson, and our our favorite, I think, Mr. Evan Bird. We're going to have an Evan Bird summer, everyone. Yeah, yeah, he's one of our, like, male role models for the summer, just peak male excellence. This 14-year-old, he's 14, right? Yeah, he's 14. He's a 14-year-old drug addict child actor. Oh, my God. (laughs) His character is unreal. Like, I could not get enough of him, seriously. So funny. And definitely, like, on some level, not even on some level, on all levels, extremely dark and kind of depressing, but... But, yeah. but, oh, my God, just in terms of being, like, a ridiculous child asshole, like, yeah. so funny. Well, that's why I think also these two movies parallel one another is that, you know, you're laughing at what they're saying. But then mm. once it, like, hits you, it's like, it's like you feel sick. You're like, fuck. Yeah, both of these movies really, like, push the line of what you can laugh at comfortably yes. in very interesting ways. Yes. And I think in very productive ways often. Cool. Well, I think, yeah, we should just dive into kind of each character because – uh, you know, the the plot of this film m- matters to a certain degree, but it's it's not really essential to to diving in what we're interested in, I guess. So, for sure, for sure. Um, Should we start with Mr. Evan Bird? Yeah, why not? Why not? Playing playing Benji Weiss. So he's, yeah, like you said, he's 14. He's a child actor. And um, the first time we see him, like, it pulls a bit of a bait and switch where we see him in a hospital with this girl who's, like, dying. And he's like, oh, I'm going to make a movie about you. And he seems kind of sweet to her and whatnot. And then he and, like, his driver, his bodyguard step outside and just immediately the mask comes The most off. egregious shit you've ever heard come out of someone's mouth is delivered to this man. Uh, because of – but he did fuck up because mm-hmm. – um, Mr. Bird thought that this little girl was dying of AIDS, according right. to her agent, but it was non-Hodgkins. What the fuck is non-Hodgkins? Yeah, yeah, non? What? <laughs> but yeah, there's another showgirls tie-in. Man, everybody got AIDS yeah, and shit. Yeah, everybody got AIDS and shit. <laughs> oh my god. And but yeah, th- this kid, and so we, we find out that, like, 
his his mom is his mom like his actual agent or is she sort of like a manager do you know it doesn't really matter yeah i just want to say manager probably because she like works with him broadly manages him trying to get him gigs yeah but he just had like a stint in rehab so we know that he was a drug addict again he is like 14 years old mm-hmm. and um nine months sober almost or yeah was it, yeah or, yeah was it, no it was 90 days it wasn't oh, even nine yeah. months 90 days because he was yacking in the bathroom like, right shortly after his meeting right right right. and yeah so they're t- kind of trying to get him like a comeback role and already there's something darkly hilarious about that because usually when you hear those sorts of stories it's somebody who's at least in their like 20s 30s 40s something like that and this is like a, a pubescent young kid yes. who's at this stage in his, you know, actorly career. Yeah, and, and and you know why he's so fucked up in this first meeting that he has uh, trying to get this new gig, this, this uh, you know, company that's potentially hiring him. They all sit there and they're talk, talking and chatting, making sure that, you know, how did the rehab go? Can we really hire him, et cetera? Um, and then he said he was making $300,000 a week when he was nine years old on this television show. Right. And... Um, he even acknowledges how fucked that is. Right. And right. how that's just completely fucked his mindset about everything and anything. Um, so, you know, that's what I think is is really compelling about this this movie is that it's not like feel bad for these people. And it's not just like, oh, the un- the dark underbelly of Hollywood. Like every, right, everybody is, knows it's now. a very familiar, well tread ground. But but again, like these um these people born of literal incest and yeah. like, you know, just how they're just doomed to live fucked up lives. Right, like, right. Forever. Especially when it's like somebody coming from this family who basically pushes him into this realm. And it's like, this is just what life is for them. And they have no other choice. And of course, they turn to drugs. And of course, they turn to violence. Because yeah. like, how wouldn't you? And I, I think we could broadly just talk about <laughs> the incest element. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I threw that out of nowhere. No, no, no. I mean, it's it's good. And I think it's, you know, it's obviously one of the key things about this movie. But I, I was thinking about how it like, it almost posits them as these sort of like, digital era postmodern greek gods where they're like born of incest and they're vindictive because that I mean, that's, that's yeah. a huge thing in greek mythology where like zeus is fucking his sister his daughter and like they're all having offspring and it's this weird <laughs> yeah. eugenics in the family thing where yeah. the gods like keep it all within the family and i think there's definitely something like that going on here and also just with how you know power hungry and vindictive they all are it's yeah just a, it's a cool angle and outside of like the literal incest of Evan's parents, right? Um, like the literal incest just in Hollywood, like you know mm-hmm. Julianne Moore and who she's fucking, and everyone's fucking everybody else, and right. everyone's trying to fuck to get to certain places. No one's mm-hmm. serious. They're just like they're just giving up their bodies so they can fucking get clout, essentially. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I guess then we could segue into Benji's sister, played yeah. by Mia Wasikowski. Who, um, what's her? Oh, Agatha. Agatha. Agatha, yeah. Agatha Weiss. And, um, so she's like the first person we meet in the movie. It's her and Robert Pattinson. Yeah. He, he picks her up. And, uh, they, they go to the site of where this fire happened that we found out that she started, yes. which is why she's been away from LA. Yeah. She's we don't been know in a mental hospital. Right, right. And we don't know any of this initially. But what we come to learn is that she is Benji's sister. And uh, John Cusack is their father, John yeah. Cusack, who is the masseuse for Julianne And Olivia Moore. Williams is the mom. Right, right. And we find out that their parents, Agatha and Benji's parents, are brother and sister. Yes. Which, to be fair, they didn't know. They didn't know, which they clarify. They, right. They, they were separated <laughs> at birth and met 
I don't even remember what they said. But right. Met but somewhere. They found this out, like, after they'd become, like, romantically involved. Yes. Which, I mean, like, it's a tough situation. Yeah. You're already having kids, and... Uh... I feel like that would ruin it for me. But oh. <laughs> again, I've, I've never been in that situation. Like, at, at least they have that rather than, like, knowing it and doing it anyway. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. But, um, yeah, it, it we, we come to see how, like, all these characters are either, like by bloodline or just tangentially related like robert pattinson who starts as uh mia wachikowski's driver and then julianne moore sets her sights on him and ev- yeah. everyone's in a web but it all like you said earlier it all comes down to basically sex and power grabbing and yeah. just people playing each other for their various reasons and yeah. their various end games and i think uh, agatha's character is really interesting as well because she was born obviously the same family of this this other kid who's making mad money right but she gets barred off because um of what she did burning the house down and almost mm-hmm. killing benji in the process right um but she never lost sight of the potential of what could have been in hollywood where right. like her desires are just purely again just trying to make it be close with celebrities like right. be an actor be a writer be a director she's talking to carrie fisher on twitter like yeah. she, she's grinding even in the institution <laughs> absolutely absolutely um but she doesn't actually see kind of what it looks like firsthand because she wasn't around right um so she probably still has a sort of dreamer view of it where it's like, I can go here and like make my Hollywood dreams happen. Exactly, exactly. She's and, like less cynical than And she has is. small moments where she realizes that it's not all it's cracked up to be, um, which the first moment, although it, it ends up working out for her, she asks Robert Pattinson basically on a date and he says no. Right. Um, and up to this point, she had, you know, been in with this writer and is now the assistant of Julianne Moore and all these things are going her way and it feels like the perfect Hollywood film is already kind of coalescing in her own life right and then this one little brick in the road literally shuts her down she she gets up and like leaves and is crying and then yeah I think that's when she goes into like her pill ceremony scene mm-hmm. <laughs> um shortly following that and and she gets a little taste of that you know same thing with her dad coming through uh, she thinks maybe that they can rekindle their their right. familial ties, and he's just nope. Yeah, get the fuck yeah, out of here. Get the hell out of here. Don't ever let us see you again. Here's ten thousand dollars. Yeah, moving on. Um, and then ultimately, uh, the breaking point is obviously when she just clubs the fucking shit out, out of Julianne Moore, Moore with her award. <laughs> yeah, which that scene was satisfying and yeah. also just so brutal. Even though it's like mm-hmm. mainly off screen violence just like yeah. the bludgeoning the the, the the sound and like i don't know the, the cut to you see results sort of thing right exactly the actual impact because like the shot reverse shot it's like basically a julianne Moore point of view of agatha like bashing her and then after the hits we'll cut back to julianne Moore getting increasingly bloodied and wounded this is also after she julianne Moore, fucks robert pattinson like in a very targeted way to get at agatha yeah because agatha's fucking robert pattinson right and agatha's young and agatha's fucking him and julianne Moore is very you know aware of her aging and is terrified by it and sort of sees agatha as like a representation of the youth that she has lost. It's a little all about Eve in that sort of sense, just mm-hmm. in terms of like an aging actress. Sure. Except this obviously gets way more depraved than all about Eve ever does. Yeah. And that's funny that I, I just thought about that too. Another pa- parallels that the endings 
in, in, in beatings, bloody beatings, yep. showgirls in this. Big time. Um, yeah, I guess that's another thing to talk about, not only in Julianne Moore's character, but again, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, is kind of the theatrics of just like the day-to-day. And mm-hmm. I mean, Julianne Moore is constantly telling um, Agatha just how beautiful she is and like how right. amazing she is. But as soon as Agatha missed a day and, mm-hmm. you know, she found out she's fucking this hot guy. Yeah. Um, she she loses her shit and wants to fire her and yeah. What once those things start happening and Julianne Moore like starts to see that maybe she isn't her lapdog the exact same way yeah. she has been, then it all kind of goes downhill. Yeah, yeah. Oh um, yeah, Julianne Moore's character is also quite fascinating because she's the daughter of a very famous Hollywood actress, which is kind of funny that they have Carrie Fisher playing herself in here because Carrie Fisher is Debbie Reynolds' daughter. And so they're, they they like place it within a, a Hollywood history that actually exists yeah. of like, you know, nepotism, which I don't even say negatively. It's just sure. like, that's just how so shit works. It, yeah. It's like a lot of them are great yeah. actors. So because of that, I, I don't really care. But with Julianne Moore's character, she's trying to get a role in a remake of one of her mother's films where she would mm-hmm. essentially be playing her mother's character. But she's a bit old for the part at this point and definitely is just living in the shadow of her mother despite her success. Like, she's won awards. She's, she lives a rich life. Yeah. She clearly is doing well for herself, but even still, she's just haunted by her mother. Yeah, it's just never enough. And, and, and she is in a constant state of, like, stress and anxiety trying to, like, maintain some semblance of, like, relevance, even though she is relevant right, already. Right. Um, Perceived relevance. Yeah, like, yeah. basically, whenever she's on screen, it's about... I already forgot the director's name who's making the film about her mother, but... Um, that guy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's sitting down with the, this other guy who's, I don't know if he's in the film or what else, but constantly talking about it. She goes into a room, she's having sex with him and this chick, mm-hmm. and the dude picks up the phone, it's the director. She's like, why didn't you mention my name? Why didn't you mention my name? Right, and right. And then gets haunted by her her young ghost mother. Right, um, right. Which I, I think this angle of the movie is so cool, too, because it, it gets pretty spooky by having like literal ghosts yeah. show up and you know i mean it's, it's hallucinations but it, it plays as if we're seeing ghosts like the girl who died in the hospital visits benji yeah uh julianne moore keeps seeing her mom julianne moore does hysterics like nobody else oh my god oh she's my god. so good in this i mean she's always good when she's outside doing like like pseudo yoga yeah. and then she fucking gets the call, the that, she didn't call. Get, that she didn't get the part and just breaks down it's hilarious that's the thing it's, it's like kind of heartbreaking but it's it's so like maximalist that you're clearly supposed to find it pretty ridiculous her whole character is is i mean dude she is a fucking horrible person yeah the the the, (laughs) the scene where she's having agatha pull the plants and then she gets the news that the person who got that who actually got the part her son drowned Mm -hmm. and then you know at first she's like oh my god how did it happen i just saw them days ago yeah i just saw them a few days ago and then her agent goes but we think we can get you the part now. And she instantly goes, how? And then, Yeah, just immediately doesn't give a shit And then all it. of a sudden when things turn around and it's looking like she's probably going to get the part, she starts singing. Um, what was the what was this, the, the song? Um, oh, na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, hey, <laughs> yeah. goodbye. And she grabs Agatha and says, like, fire and water. Yeah, yeah, they start, like, dancing. dancing essentially celebrating the death of a child. Of a child <laughs> for, the, for the fact that she's got a role. This kid sacrificed his life for her. That's, like, basically right. her mindset. And she's like, 
just hyped about it. So, you know, realistically, I don't give a fuck what happens to her. She, yeah. Like, anything horrendous could happen, I'd be totally fine with it. Because, like, when Agatha is going through miserable shit, I, like, feel bad for her. Again, beca- because she's a product of her people, you know, right. whereas, I mean... She I, seemingly sort of has a good heart, maybe. I mean, I guess Julianne Moore is kind of the same in the sense that, like, her mom was an actor. So it right, is... It right. is it's complex in that way. It is complex in, in terms that way. of sympathies. But again, like we've been saying, it's like it, it really does do tragedy and comedy simultaneously in a way that's very just like striking and funny and obviously very fucked up. But yeah, I mean, the first scene with Julianne Moore where John Cusack oh is God. massaging her was fucking oh insane. And she's like crying her eyes out. I mean, he's basically like a therapist. Well, for he, her. Yeah, he is a therapist. And, it, and it's like the most delusional fucking stupid therapy you could yeah. possibly imagine. That <laughs> yeah. would definitely come out of Hollywood. You'd be right. like, oh my God, I heard about this guy. He only works with celebrities. He's right, amazing. Right. He'll fix you. But it's like, Literally forcing her to relive, like, this trauma that also may or may not have happened. Like, yeah, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I actually just I don't, Yeah, exactly. Um, but, like, reliving whatever trauma she thought she went through and, like, having her pretend talk to her mom, which might be the reason why the ghost is being spurred onto her anyway. Yeah, it's like, I, I kind of read it that way. That Cusack is almost like, and their, you know, process, quote unquote, is basically just keeping this ghost alive. Yeah. Again, for him to catch a check every week at therapy. Exactly. Like, everyone's exploiting everyone yes it's all very gross That's and very funny maps uh to the stars form the constellations of everyone's relationship exactly um and that constellation is incest yes yes um let's talk real quick i don't even have much analysis on it it was just one of the crazier scenes in the movie uh benji shoots his friend's dog oh my god and kills the dog yeah <laughs> because yeah. His, his friend is basically playing with this gun and benji grabs it and he's like whoa, dude, like, careful, it's loaded. And we see Benji empty what he thinks are all of the bullets. Yes. There's and still one in the proceeds chamber. proceeds to put them in his mouth and fire and right. his head and fire. So, like, he could have easily killed himself. Right, right. And, and, and mind you, he's not sober at this point. He's broken sobriety. Right. What was the reason that he... That he um, was it because he was pissed about little Ralph? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the little kid who's stealing all Vibina. the scenes. Yeah, Mr. Shithead Vibina. Vibina. <laughs> yeah, so this, this little ginger kid who's who's like, I don't know if he was even like a guest star or like he's like a supporting role on Benji's thing where he's a leading man. Yes. It's like he's supposed to be the star of the show and this kid is stealing scenes from him and he gets fucking really angry about it. He starts antagonizing the kid, yes. which, you know, culminates in him strangling the kid he, yeah he starts seeing the girl who died earlier and you know that this is kind of a classic movie thing where a person hallucinates someone they start strangling the hallucination yeah. and then oh no it was my young co-star yeah who i ralph. fucking just strangled hi and, i'm ralph yeah that's so funny <laughs> Dude, that seems amazing as well there's so many amazing scenes but yes the dog shooting scene was it, it was just like next level depraved fucked up absolutely depraved like it was so just but I also kind of giggled a little, like, in, in that, like, oh, my God kind of no, way. absolutely, absolutely. Another innocent life taken by these fucking yeah, freaks, dude. It's, it's just comically bleak. It's yeah. It's comically depraved and bleak. Yeah. But, yeah, and then, you know, the guy's dog gets shot. He's screaming at Benji to get the fuck out. You shot my fucking dog, man. Which, yeah. as someone who owns a cat now, like, if somebody killed my pet. Oh, my God, if someone killed my I'd, dog, I would never talk to them ever. Yeah, I'd beat the shit out of them. Like, yeah. I'd be, I'd be. Anyway, <laughs> there's actually a guy that I know um, 
that spilled edible popcorn at my house and my dog ate it and Dude. I had to take him to get his stomach pumped and I, I still fucking hate that guy to this day. Damn. It's been like 10 years. One, one of my, <laughs> I wasn't here for this, but two of my friends made edibles and mm. they like set them out to cool, oh, came back, no. the dog had eaten them all. They're, they're still friends because it was like both of their faults. Yeah, <laughs> if yeah. it was just one of their faults to the other person's dog, yeah. I think it'd be different. But I, I was like, you know, digitally receiving this in real time. And was like, oh my God, like, oh no, like you need me to drive you. And then they did the right thing. They just like fessed up and called their parents. And yeah. were like, all right, like we got to take care of this. So all was well, but yeah, take care of your pets, people. Yes. Do not leave your, your um, drugs lying around willy nilly. Or your guns. Yeah. Or your guns, that, that, that too. So the, this culminates in a lot of death. I think kind of the only main characters who don't die. I mean, Robert Pattinson's a side character, but John Cusack is like alive at the end of it, but clearly his life is destroyed. Yeah. So it hardly even matters. Yeah. Because um, his wife, Agatha slash Benji's mom, dies. She gets burnt up, which that, that's another hilarious scene. Yeah, dude, she burns herself up. And that scene, right. and, and what makes that scene, it's just like you were saying, everything is so OTT in this movie, but like yeah. in the most like reserved way it's like right because it's that icy cronenberg yes, style exactly which makes it all the more compelling right is that it really locks you in like his style is very engrossing yes yeah, so the mom's on fire and she's <laughs> literally right by a pool like a <laughs> yeah. massive pool and john cusack sees her immediately the, the, like right when she lights up like she's not already burning and flailing no no we hear like the <sighs> yes he sees, he runs over, and he's, like, he's like grossed uh, out. He's uh, like, I don't really want to touch you. And he gives her, like, a, a baby kick to where she just <laughs> yeah. falls over right to the edge of the pool. And then he, like, runs back to the house and runs back and tries to get, like, a, like a, rod, yeah. a rod to push her in. But it's already too late. She yeah, just she's fucking dead. charred to death. Yeah. It's it's also like and I mean you know it's it's a low budget movie I don't really care about this but the fire does look ridiculous oh yeah it does it looks Absolutely. really bad and it doesn't matter but that that honestly just kind of makes it funnier no, a little I bit agree. where it's just like what the like what is this absolutely <laughs> absolutely but then uh, Agatha and Benji reunite they take their parents' wedding rings yeah because they they said that even when they were younger they would play like getting married when they yes. were kids yes which again it just goes to show like from the very beginning deep in their DNA is this incestuous bond yeah. even though they've never really consummated it and by the end of it they don't even have sex but they like quote unquote get married yeah they share a kiss and right. then they, they kill themselves and i think agatha came to the conclusion that like might as well end the bloodline sort of mentality because right. of like what she experienced with like fresh eyes i guess in yeah, her yeah. time in hollywood that like this is not what I really wanted or needed or right, like whatever. She, she came in feeling like recovered and reformed and ready to lead like an honest, good life and did genuinely kind of make an attempt to. Yeah. And then just saw what the world and the people around her were. And when the mental clinic raises you better than your parents. Literally. Yeah. Like yeah. that's, that, that was the experience she had. So um, it's like, you know, can't really blame any of these people for wanting. And, to and it goes out pretty like elegantly and peacefully. It's not like it's kind a, of beautiful. Yeah. In a weird way. Yeah. In a very it's, sick way. Like the implication is very sick but just like the, the tone of it and, and they keep reading that liberty poem like yes. throughout the movie they the keep reciting movie. it but yeah they're, they're vows to each other i i weirdly was like oh it's kind of beautiful and i was like well they are siblings yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i had to remind myself for a second i'm like well it's not that beautiful yeah and yeah outside of that i just nothing really much to say about this but just the writing throughout this film is just consistently oh, like great. so strong like, yeah yeah like it I, I'll almost never be like, oh, the writing, the writing, but just yeah. the one-liners in, in this are just fucking hilarious, and the way that, like, they talk about 
just certain things like even surrounding sex something that's supposed to be beautiful it's like right. do you want to fuck my hole like yeah do you they, wanna... they make it really gross yeah it's disgusting like, it's the... like it's not it's not body horror in the sense that like you're seeing anything but it's just like their words are so disgusting yeah that they're it's like cutting it, 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 it supersedes that of like watching someone get bludgeoned or yeah it's like gnarlier to hear them say these things than it is to visually yes. watch body horror like there's that scene where um julianne moore's mom's ghost is like Oh, like your your old tits and your fucking hole stinks worse than me. Yeah. It's like ew. Yeah, like, literally it's so nasty. It's so gross. It yeah. is so nasty. But uh, yeah, the and there are so many like little Hollywood references to real life things. Sure. It's, it's clearly a movie that was like written by somebody who like knows the industry and the history of it, and it strikes this perfect like sardonic tone where it's never it's never too ridiculous where it becomes like detaching. Like I was into it the whole time, yeah. But there's it's just extremely cynical and sardonic and. Yeah. The, the, the little bits of surrealism and just this, like, kind of maximal insanity within Cronenberg's icy form is just, like, very compelling and very interesting. Absolutely. Um, well, I don't have much else to say. We can jump into ratings if you're ready. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I'll start us off. I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five. I, I really love this movie. I'm sure I'll be revisiting it at some point. It's probably, like, upper mid Cronenberg for me, which, yeah. which is not a roast at all. That's like a, a compliment. So yeah, I thought it was great. What yeah. about you? I also love this film four and a half for me as well. Uh, and it's an upper Cronenberg in my smaller, mm-hmm. smaller, uh, range. Sure. I really, really love this movie. I think it's fucking awesome. And I, I, it's one of those ones too, that like I could throw on any time and like have a, a great time. Yeah. Well, and, and like <clears> just <throat> to give my context around watching it, I, I watched it on a first date. Let's go. <laughs> so, which, and, and I didn't even know how gnarly this was going to get. It was a bit of a risk, but but it, it totally went well. She yeah. enjoyed it. We had a great time. Excellent. So, yeah, it, it is weirdly accessible despite how, like, fucked up it no, is. No, for sure. Because at, at, at the very least, if you're not a cinephile or, like, a frequent moviegoer, you can just be like, whoa, what the fuck? Exactly. You know? it's, it's always engaging <laughs> on that level. So, yeah, big fans of Map to the Stars, and we will be right back to talk about Showgirls. Oh, yeah. All right, everybody, we are back to talk about Paul. We don't really know how to say his last name. Verhoeven. 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 What? Paul. Paul. Not Big Paul. Big Paul. Big P. Paul V. PV. PV. Wow, that's fitting. Yeah. Uh, to discuss absolutely. his film Showgirls <laughs> from 1995, which at the time was like infamously reviled. It, it, you know, swept the Razzies, which I briefly just want to touch on the Razzies, which is like one of the most ridiculous quote unquote institutions in the world. I where, was never even like aware of the Razzies until you told me about this last time I watched the film. So. Yeah, because it, it's, you know, they, they award like, oh, Worst actor, worst picture, yada, yada. It's like, you know, the, the anti-Oscars, quote-unquote. But if yeah. you can literally, like, we could join the Razzies if we wanted to. You just pay an online fee and you can join and vote for things. And they always, like, get shit way wrong. And they're always apologizing decades later. <laughs> like, th- their biggest one was that they nominated both Kubrick for director and Shelley Duvall for The Shining for, like, worst which obviously is fucking insane. So insane. And then they did rescind, like, literally, I think a year or two ago, they, like, rescinded the Shelley Duvall nomination, but not because they said she was good, but because they leaned into the whole, like, oh, because Kubrick, like, abused her on set, which she herself has been like, no, that's, like, that's, like, not how it went down. Like, that's one of those internet things that always gets traction every couple months where it's like, oh, Shelley Duvall, like, had her life ruined by Stanley Kubrick on the set of The Shining. And it's like, 
But by her, and it's funny because those people clearly aren't even listening to what she's saying because she's like, I mean, he was demanding. He was, certainly wasn't abusive, you sure. know. Anyway. There's a difference, but we right. can get into that at a different time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, long story short, the Razzies are ridiculous. But um, so this this movie was kind of a flop initially, but then on home video, it like really made bank and it ended up turning a profit just because, you know, NC-17, it had all this buzz around it for being like the worst movie ever. And so people would like which... check it out because of that, which, yeah, when watching it is just like so ridiculous. What? Even if you don't really like it or whatever, like it's so cool clearly competently made yes and like, at least on like a, a, a purely on a formal level yeah it looks it's a, great it's amazing yeah it looks great yeah. it looks great and and i mean i think we would both agree that it, it clearly has its tongue in its cheek and yes. is like doing some stuff but anyway uh before we really get into showgirls what's uh your relationship to mr paul um so this is actually the first year i experienced any of his films and i went on a go. small little stint um when i was on vacation i watched total recall robocop and l nice um and that made me like super interested in him because i really enjoyed all of them mm-hmm. um uh, um and then i watched basic instinct and Which now is awesome showgirls yeah honestly all of his films are just fucking awesome yeah all of them totally. um so now i i Honestly, I really, really like him. Mm-hmm. I really like him. So I'm gonna try and explore more of his films this year. But I'm a, I would constitute, or I would call myself a, a huge fan for sure. Yeah, I, I, the first ones of his I saw were RoboCop, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers, all of which I watched when I was pretty young. And I, I, I definitely didn't like. I, I sort of got them, but mm-hmm. like I went into them just being like, oh, it's a robot cop, like no, fuck absolutely. yeah, or like oh, it's Arnold in Arnold's the sci-fi killing movie. people, fuck exactly. Yeah. Like I went into it with that angle, which still to this day I think is the only angle some people view those movies from sure. when they're actually you know steeped in satire and commentary and absolutely there's, there's a lot going on within but, all of them and, but that's what's also beautiful about it is that like they work on both levels right like, even, they are good action even movies. if you're aware of like you know the, the thing the, the the deeper thematic you know underbelly yeah it, it doesn't you can negate st- the cool yeah, yeah it makes shit. it st- it's still cool as fuck and you're also right. like it's just cool from both angles so totally yeah and then when i got a bit older i watched l basic instinct the hollow man uh showgirls of course and i really liked benedetta which i, th- I think is his most recent but yeah I'm, I'm definitely a big fan and he's he's one of those guys where i liked him when i was younger and i only like him more now that i'm fuck older yeah. which is always just a nice experience to have yeah. with a filmmaker and their work so that being said, what did you think of Showgirls? Oh my God! Well, this is uh, my second time watching it. How, how many times have you seen it? This was also uh, either my second or third. Okay, yeah. I saw it for the first time like a year ago. It's an amazing film, but yeah. it is a brutal watch at the same time. It's like the way that it, it rides the line of like just being like purely entertaining or funny or just downright fucking detestable. Right. Um. Yeah, it's a wild ride. Certainly, I, I definitely am like. I, it's an amazing film. I love it, but it's also just like, oh my god, you, yeah, it gives you the the biggest pit in your stomach. Um, yeah. So yeah, but I would say it's a, it's a, yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I, I I agree with all of that. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really great movie. Um, equal parts hilarious and harrowing. Yeah, very tough watch. Also a very fun watch though. At the same time, like yeah. it's so entertaining. It's so funny. It's so fucked up. It's tragic, cynical, all all these sorts of things, and it's. I mean, I don't even want to talk about this too much because it's a separate thing from the movie itself, but I'm kind of baffled by the initial reception to this being like... Well, just even like, isn't there even reception now? People go either way, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because there are even some people who like this movie, but only from like the way that people like The Room, where it's like, oh, like, let's just like laugh at this and it's so campy and ridiculous. And it's like... 
I, I, like, I don't know if I'm becoming jaded just because of, like, how many films I watch, but, like, outside of, like, sure, there's, like, a couple lines that are, like, yeah, that's cheesy, but, like, but it's, it's, it's obviously not that fucking, like... It's not that crazy. Over the top. It's really not. <laughs> I agree. Like, I agree. It's not that over the top, and whenever it is silly, it's so clearly pointed, you know? Yeah. So it's, like, I, I'm, I'm so baffled by the reception to it, but whatever. I don't even yeah. really want to give yeah. that too much time, but, um... This was written by Joe Esterhouse, who also wrote the script for Basic Instinct. Oh, okay. Also wrote the script for Jade, kind of an erotic thriller maestro of the yeah. 90s from a screenwriting angle. And he and Verhoeven have a working relationship. So the, the movie follows Nomi, played by Elizabeth Berkley, yeah. who we see as kind of a drifter at the beginning. And it, it more or less just follows her sort of fucked up A Star is Born arc, yeah. where she wants to become a dancer and she eventually gets a job at a really good club. And then, you know, betrayals, drugs, sex, violence all ensue, yes. the toxicity of fame and greed and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, I think... Just broadly speaking, one of the angles from which this movie is coolest is that it's sort of Verhoeven's, like I said, like it's sort of his A Star is Born, yeah. but all the glitz and glam is just seeped in darkness yes. and seediness. Because he and Esther House both, both talked about how they sort of wanted to do their kind of classic MGM musical, yeah. which this does kind of fit into the mold of in a couple different ways, but like... I mean, one one thing that I'll just give an example of for how this like kind of takes that and then plays with it is that in a lot of those sorts of movies, like there's a lot of queer coded subtext, mm -hmm. whereas here, like that subtext is just text. Yeah. Like Gina Gershon just wants to fuck Elizabeth Berkeley yes. and they kiss at the end. Yes. And like he, he just takes some of those things that were coded and, you know, that queer element isn't one of the darker things, but he's taking a lot of things that were coded in old Hollywood films and making them just like full-on maximalist yes. explicit let let's let's sort of parse through the tone of it a little if we can yeah yeah um because in terms of like what what, what what do you think about this movie in terms of it being regarded as like camp or anything like that like i could understand if you were watching this movie at the very start mm -hmm. like maybe like the first like i don't know 30 percent of the movie is mm -hmm. like kind of the only place where it feels like camp really exists yeah where it's like you know her her meeting with um molly molly Dude, okay actually we should get into that scene because that scene is fucking insane yeah in, in insanity so basically you know nomi gets picked up by this this guy who's got you know nothing wrong with anyone that's got a mullet or anything we're we're, we're pretty good people for the most part but there's sure, a couple of bad sure. apples out there so yeah, yeah. Uh, couldn't be you though it's gonna be me couldn't be me but she gets picked up by this mullet asshole dude who basically just finesses her put like says steals i'm gonna yeah steals her suitcase um and she basically freaks out and because she's in the casino before like she's in the casino and this dude there tries to pick her up and and says sooner or later you're gonna have to sell it yeah He's basically saying like you're gonna have to become a whore yeah if you want to be successful here in vegas so she runs out she's fucking kicking and screaming she just and, like attacks molly's car <laughs> yeah she's just smacking the shit out of molly's car molly's like what the fuck are you doing she turns and yaks everywhere which like which i didn't <laughs> i mean which i did not understand i was just like i don't, I don't either know. she was just so upset that she vomited There's, i guess yeah and and, and that that's that that's really kind of the only bit where I get why people are like, this movie's insane. Yeah. Because it's like she's just randomly attacking this car, yelling, like, I want my fucking suitcase. And Molly like 
throws her off the car, and then she vomits, and then starts stumbling into, into the street, street, where Molly grabs her and pulls her out of the way, and then they embrace, like, so intimately. Yes. It looks like they're about to kiss. Yes. So that, those 60 seconds are fucking insane. And then she, like, does the whole thing with her, with her ketchup bottle and fucking <laughs> yeah. flailing it everywhere. So I feel like the first little bit, but, like, once you really do kind of start picking up on what's happening, mm-hmm. it, it quickly, like sheds that skin i guess and yeah kind of makes yeah. it irrelevant or like not really even existent and even um, that skin is sort of a byproduct of like the world they're in which is very maximalist and ridiculous yeah and there's even like there's the show early on with the woman who like does the thing where her like like her top the top of her dress falls down to expose her breast and it makes this weird noise right and she's like riffing with the crowd and like all that stuff is sort of like drag queen-esque and it's yeah. like tone and aesthetic which i think maybe in retrospect people understand more now than they might have in the 90s sure. where probably i mean I, I feel like today like people who aren't in that scene have more of an understanding of it even from things just like rupaul's drag race yes. or stuff like that so I think that's maybe helped people understand that angle of it more. But I'm sure, I mean, clearly a lot of just, like, critics who have, like, no idea about any of that sort of aesthetic or that world watch this and were just like, why is this ridiculous and bad? And it's, like, it's so clearly just pointed yeah. in a specific way. I feel like right when you kind of get introduced to the the owner of the cheetah, it's already just like, oh, yeah, this is fucked. You know? Right, right, exactly. Because there's, and it comes back later, but he's with uh, Crystal and he's given that speech that he gives later in the movie with Nomi where he's like, she is Las Vegas. Like, yeah. he's hyping her up. They're kind of putting on this facade for the press, which it immediately establishes, A, how like these higher ups, like these producers and whatnot are like exploiting these workers. And also just that it's all kind of bullshit because then they go backstage and they're shit talking. No, and absolutely. And it doesn't off. matter at what level you're at. If you're at like this big, big one or you're you're at the, the, the cheetah where it's like, right, they don't want to fuck a fuck a penny. They want to fuck a hope. And like, mm-hmm. also, you're going to suck my cock if you want to keep your job. Exactly. Like, it's like at, at every level, it has this like hierarchy, this very predatory hierarchy. Yeah. And so like even when nomi takes the next step it's like you're still serving to like basically just a richer version of, right, right. of who you were originally subservient to <laughs> right and it's like the same dynamic i think it's interesting too because like we we do sympathize with these people through that process and everything but at the same time i, I think one of the smartest things about this movie is how it it kind of shows how not only is like this culture and this cycle exploitative but it kind of details how they like lure in some kind of narcissistic personalities to exploit them. Like, I think all that stuff is just very like insightful and emerges very organically. Yeah. And at, at, at the end of the day, like, yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, a a good example of that is like, um, when they're doing tryouts for, I don't even remember what the show's called. God, is it, is it called goddess or is she just called goddess in the show? I don't remember, but that one, whatever, when they're trying out for the show and then the, the, guy who's basically like calling the shots is like okay show me your tits and they're all like apprehensive yeah but it's like you've seen the show like you already know that like it's a nude show and that's what you're going to be doing anyways um and so just like i don't know yeah i just think it's interesting as well and that's another way that it kind of parallels these sorts of like rise in hollywood or a star is born type movies where it it focuses on like the quote-unquote dream factory element of it where it's it's selling you a dream and these 
these sort of either desperate or narcissistic or both people get sucked into the idea of this dream. And and when they're in these lower level places like the cheetah or whatever, they're like, oh, I, I, I keep grinding, working up. I'll be one of these stars. Yeah. But the stars are doing the exact same shit, just on a higher exactly. scale with more money. And these industries are so good at like packaging these dreams and then making right. you think that they're your own dream, even though it was exactly. like, again, just keep slowly being instilled on you from day one until you're like, oh my God, I thought of this myself sort of thing. Exactly. Um, and like for us watching the movie, like we almost have that same sort of realization where it's like we see her grinding, trying to make this happen. Yeah, and, and you're like, come like, on, like you're going to make it. You're going to be a dancer. Exactly. And then it just kind of gets revealed. It's like, nah, she's just another cog in this rich asshole's enterprise. Yeah, dude. And like, that's she like does all some, this is. some dubious shit. She yeah. Does some really fucked shit. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the big example, of course, being when she pushes Crystal Gina Gershon down the stairs to take over her leading role yeah which is what happens before what we said before the the scene where that that echoes the early scene with crystal and the producer where he's basically saying the exact same shit but just about nomi where it's like she is las vegas she represents everything this town is about yeah and it just makes it all very clear like what exactly this ecosystem is absolutely um i think we should talk about kyle mclaughlin a little bit yeah one, just because i love to talk about mr kyle we love our boy we love kale yes we love we love a good kale um, yeah he's 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 funny in this movie also his hair in this oh, movie that's what i was about to say dude the yeah. moment you see him and it's just like hanging over one eye you're yeah, just it's like, like all right fuck yeah all right <laughs> and yeah okay i i guess also i'm i'm, I'm going somewhere with this that relates to kyle sure, 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 sure. but I, i'm just curious and obviously a lot of this movie isn't but like did you think any of this movie was hot not to put you on the spot. No. Okay. No. I mean, like... The one part that I think is kind of hot is her dancing on Kyle McLaughlin. Oh, in the opening. Yeah, I mean... That whole scene. I mean, I will... I guess... It's weird because, like, it's kind of like you were saying in the moment, like, before you kind of, like, again... You get to the point where you're not cheering for her anymore. Right. I mean, there's no denying that she's, like, a very attractive woman. She's super like, hot. Yeah. yeah. She's, yeah. she's very attractive. Um... And she can dance, or oh, yeah. she can fuck. I don't know. Yeah, what, yeah. You know, what's the difference? What's the difference? Um, <laughs> it's funny because if you're if you haven't watched the movie and you're listening to the podcast, you're gonna think like we're the biggest assholes. But the, everything we've said is a quote from the film itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, yeah, so yeah. you know. Yeah, we, we, this is not our words. We are quoting. <laughs> we are quoting the film. Um, but anyways, yeah, I mean, I think there's portions, obviously, where I can't, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's... Just watching her dance or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree that the the majority of it, even when, like, because a lot of it, in a different context, I would find hot, but just, like, what's what we, what we know is going on outside of the mere physical acts makes it kind of degrading and uncomfortable... Sure, like I think her dance with with what's his name was was hot as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's honestly the one scene where I'm kind of straight up like, yeah, like everything about this is kind of hot. Yeah, like absolutely, like Kale's girlfriend like paying her to do it and then sitting there watching. It's like, I mean, even that isn't something I'm necessarily into myself. But like, that's one of the only scenes where I'm like just kind of straightforwardly like, yeah, that that was pretty hot. Yeah, that was kind of hot. Yeah. Um, the rest of it though, it's like, it's I mean, all, when you watch her. And McLaughlin finally fuck each other. It is like the most. I mean, I I know the scene is like legendary, right? You know, right. I, I see memes on Twitter where but yeah, that, that scene's just like funny. Yeah, that scene's hilarious. I mean, they're she in is, a pool and they're fucking underwater. Yeah, I mean, he does he does do some some pretty like bad at like when he pours the champagne yeah on her, dude. licks it off i'm like yeah. all right write that one down write yeah, that yeah, one yeah. down that one's going in the notebook <laughs> that one's going in the playbook um but then they just like 
They're fucking like animals, dude. Yeah, I mean, she is like, like she's like a fucking fish out of water, just like splashing around, flopping. It's like the most ridiculous shit ever. Because he's more or less vertical in the water. She's <laughs> kind of wrapped around him horizontally, like flailing up and down, almost like she's doing crunches on his waist. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But then he wakes up, and and that's when his mindset changes. That right? She's the new. I mean, like, and again, this is the mindset of of a producer, director, whatever. And in, in, in that realm, it's like, oh, she's the next good fuck that I've got. So yeah, exactly. That's when he's like, he tries to get uh, Crystal out before Nomi just does, does it herself. herself. Mm-hmm. Um, but he tries, and and she threatened to, threatened to walk, and that's why it ended that way. But um, you know, McLaughlin was looking for a new, younger, prettier toy, essentially, right? Um, which, again, that's kind of another parallel to Mapped at the Stars with Julianne Moore's character aging and everything. Yes. Like, she's sort of the Gina Gershon of that movie. Absolutely. But, I mean, just very briefly, with that pool scene, like, that's another scene where I'm like, I don't know how the fuck people watched this and were like, oh, that was supposed to be just, like, straightforwardly good and it was accidentally bad. I'm like, you, you, <laughs> you really think that was, like, an accident? Yeah. It's like, that doesn't just, like, that's not how a normal sex scene would yeah, go. Yeah, no, seriously, not everyone on set wasn't like, um, should we say something to Paul? Right. Oh, no, it's his yeah, it's movie. Like, just let him be. How do you think movies happen? You know, I, I feel like it's just such an uninformed angle. Anyway, m- moving on. From yeah, that. yeah. Um, but his character just throughout is, is yeah, he's constantly scheming. I think one of the scenes that like, again, and this is again where it li- rides the line where you, you kind of do laugh in the way that, again, you're just like, oh my God. Same way that, that when Benji shoots the dog and maps. Yeah, it's just um, like, Jesus Christ. When, when, uh, Nomi has the discovery that she got linked up with, um, I forget what his name is, but basically um, someone who, who works with the show and this other outside dude who's, I'm sure, funding. And basically uh, they're being sold as prostitutes. Mm-hmm. And then she gets really upset, says she's not going to do it, calls McLaughlin to basically like get on this guy's ass. McLaughlin calls him in the room and is like, you Fucker, if you ever do this again, you're gone. Yeah. You hear me? You're gone. And then leaves. And then um, you know, he's like, sorry about that. And and <laughs> and then she leaves and he goes, whatever his name is, I'm just gonna call him Joe. Uh-huh. Joe, you dumb fuck. Get back in here. Or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> oh my god, dude. Just everyone lying to everyone. Seriously. Just... Really the only like straight up good person in this movie oh, is molly right absolutely and and you know i mean molly takes someone that she doesn't know off the streets who's right. down their luck lets them live with houses her, her help, helps her advance her career like introduces more. her to like crystal in the first right. place right which is where it all begins where her trajectory starts and you know just generally is kind and like morally supportive to yeah. her and naturally in this cynical ass movie the one good person suffers the worst abuse in the entire movie yeah it, it is disgusting man. yeah there's there's a really brutal tough to watch rape scene with her later in the movie that um yeah it's it's, it's just maximum cruelty honestly yeah. and it's like i i really didn't see that coming at all it's because it it's so fucking cruel how the movie does this where there's this musician who like early on it sets up that molly like idolizes this guy and she meets him and then yeah. he and his bodyguards are the ones who do it and it's like it's just as cynical and horrible. Yeah, it's as, just like all these people that you that you do idolize are all like they're all the fakers. worst. Not yeah. even just fakers; they're the worst human beings on the planet. Yeah, and, you know, deserve the fucking firing squad. Like, yeah, literally. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's it's a, that's easily the you know the peak of the harrowing stuff in this movie. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, I guess the, the other one who is at least like leans positive in context, I guess, is uh, James, played by Glenn Plummer, the the guy who. Um, Kind of teaches her how to dance. Yeah, she she. I, I love their dance scene together, dude. So good, yeah. so good. It's yeah. kind of hot too. That is kind of hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a couple bits like that where it's like there isn't gross context surrounding it. You can just kind of be like, yeah, like sexy dance. Yeah, Very nice. Yeah, but um, that that's few and far between though. But yeah, his his performance in this is great. He's very like just animated and just kind of like, girl, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, like, all the of, time. He's always telling it how it is, and he's he's someone who like certainly is supporting Nomi, but is also very aware of, like, how this world operates. Yeah, he's very cognizant of where he is, and, like, he's also cognizant of himself. Like, at least when he was sleeping with another girl and, like, telling Nomi he wrote this dance, he he straight up was like, yeah, like, I'm a womanizer. And, like, again, it's not Mm -hmm. justifying it, but at least in, like, the space that he occupies, he's the only truthful person. Right, right. Everyone else is just saying bullshit literally 24-7. Right. So he's the only person who's just, like, saying, speaking his truth, you know? Exactly. (laughs) And and, uh, Nomi sort of, like, learns to bullshit because especially in the first half of this movie, she's, like, comically aggressive to everyone. Yes. There's, there's like, early on the first time she meets Gina Gershon, and Gina Gershon, like, roasts her for sure. She's like, well, I don't know what it is you're doing at the Cheetah, but whatever it is, it isn't dancing. She's immediately like, you're full of shit, like, fuck you. Yeah, and then runs out. Like, half of the scenes in the first half of this movie just end with Nomi being like, fuck you, you fucking piece of shit, yeah. and, like, walking away. Go to the club, start, <laughs> kick some guy in the nuts, and then they're like, she started it. She's like, oh, no, fuck you, get off of me. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. It's, it's a comically aggressive movie. Yeah. Like, the characters are aggressive. The movie itself is just hyper cynical and aggressive with that cynicism. It's, and again, it's one of those things where it's like, it's funny and it leaves you feeling totally dirty and horrible about the world. And Absolutely. It, it walks that tightrope just like amazingly. I don't even know how he pulls that off. No, I agree. I agree. I guess also I think this has like one of the most like haunting endings yeah, ever. For sure. Like ever. Seriously. It's it's so fucked. So and, and also while still maintaining like that that duality that we've been talking about for the entire film right where she's hitchhiking again it's just like a bookend sort of deal right um and the same guy the same the guy who robbed her took her suitcase at the picks beginning. her up uh not realizing that it's her because she's got on a hat and glasses or whatever right right um and they have a little like back and forth sort of thing whatever it's not that important but it pans to the sign of her no uh nomi i don't know what her last name is yeah whatever nomi malone malone as uh goddess like mm-hmm. it's the big sign she's finally got her part she's leaving town now um oh we didn't even talk about how she how she um oh like avenges molly like but not really i mean like right. it's like a almost in, in a self-fulfillment sort of way right like, it's like it's her own anger at her friend's assault yeah so so as we were talking about earlier with just nomi basically getting integrated into this world and then being consumed by it and then even though she's like aware of by the end mm-hmm. what she's kind of contributed in like hurting other people right it's obviously too late yeah. And the only way she can try to justify or like make herself feel less guilty is to go beat the shit out of whatever this guy this the, the country singer. Yeah, the the guy who raped Molly. The guy who raped Molly. Um and and I mean, you know, obviously it's like 
good. It's satisfying. Yeah, it's for very sure. satisfying. She's literally, and it's all just like kicks. Like she's doing spin kicks and stomps yeah, and everything. And he's bleeding everywhere. Yeah. And and it's obviously just satisfying to watch. It's like, yeah, fuck this piece of shit. Yeah. Kick the shit out of him. But goes back to Molly and goes, I kicked the shit out of him. And it's like, yeah, but also like, you're the reason she just got, you know. Yeah, so, it's, it's it's a it's a very like self-serving revenge. Um, but on that note, she leaves uh, town now because obviously she can't be there anymore because they know that she was the last person to be seen with this this star who's now going to be right. brutally beaten. And her past has sort of been revealed too, yeah. which makes her uneasy. Yeah. Kale like reveals that he knows basically. It's like her parents double suicided. She's had all these charges, yeah. these crimes, and she's been on the run. So she's um, kind of been exposed a little bit. Yeah, so we get this like crazy crane shot where she leaves town with this guy and then shows her poster as as the goddess leaving this 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 place that she's now conquered to a certain degree in like sort the of. worst way possible yeah it's and like she's she technically did conquer it it's like and it's like to the outsider view she 100 percent conquered it but then us seeing like the insides of that process make it clear it's like can you even view this as a victory yeah there's no there's no making it yeah um but then the pan the 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 camera proceeds to ascend until we see the hollywood sign mm-hmm. and then it's like oh next stop basically like yep. the fucking we got vegas peril- on to the next one. Yeah. On to yeah. the next horrible, exploitative. Yeah. So it's like she learned history. she learned nothing and she's just mm-hmm. gonna be in this like perpetual state forever. So Yeah, it's it's an incredibly cynical movie. Yeah. But like not not emptily cynical. Yeah. Like it, it totally it's not just like empty nihilism or anything. It's very pointed, it's a very angry movie. It's very stirring in that sense. But then again, like because we've talked about all the dark implications and everything, but at the same time, it's a movie where, you know, Glenn Plummer goes, man, everybody got AIDS and shit nowadays. Like, yeah. it's also, like, really funny. Yeah. It's very funny. Like, the pool sex scene's hilarious. It's it's really just totally masterful how Paul Verhoeven somehow walks this line of being, like, goofy and hilarious, yet also, like, hyper-cynical and very real about Absolutely. these dark, very real things that exist in the world. It's... It's really it's really unique, honestly. There aren't that many movies like this that I can think well, of. Well, no one has the balls to make movies like this. Seriously, yeah. I mean, bro, L? Yeah, Jesus. Like, Jesus. no one has balls to make. Like, this guy has, like, the biggest set of balls on planet Earth, straight up. Like, I can't even think of, like, many other filmmakers that just, like, carry a sack as large as this man. <laughs> yeah, for like, real, it's... for real. He's not afraid to fucking go for it and get into some really, like, taboo, seedy shit. Yeah. yeah. But in a way that, like... I mean, obviously, Showgirls, like we said, was kind of reviled initially. And now it's like it's been reclaimed by many for sure. But it still doesn't have like a unanimous like, oh, this is a great movie. Yeah. It's kind of just all over the place at this point. But um, yeah, it's you're you're so right. I mean, there aren't really many filmmakers getting into shit as seedy as this and as yeah. controversial as this. Absolutely. And it's something to applaud for sure, whether you like it or not. Um, Cool. Well, let's jump into ratings. I'm going to I'm going to go with a. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm on the line between four it. and a half or a five. I I mean like I I logged it as a four and a half, but I'm I'm just saying honestly, it's a five. It's a five star yeah, movie. Like let's it's go. it's an amazing film. Let's it's go. like everyone needs to watch it at some point. In my opinion, like this yeah. this should be in the in in the canon of life. Um, super important film and uh, a lot of respect for this man. So I'm going with right. a five today. I'm, I'm going to match you. I'm also going to five. And again, it's like as insightful and dark as it is, it's like so much fun. Yeah. It's just, it's so much fun. 
yeah, great movie, very unique movie. Also, I, I will say, because part of this movie's reputation was that it was rated NC-17, totally doesn't need to be NC-17. I mean, it's just like a lot of nudity, right. like just like bare boobs. Right, right. Um, and that's the extent, essentially. It's really not that graphic. No. It's dark and it's harrowing. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and I think that scene, I think is, that scene maybe... That would be the only thing where I'm is like, where yeah. Is where it does, you know push it to the next level. Of- but again, I, I feel like you do see that sort of stuff in R-rated movies, and it's like, I, I honestly feel like this is just NC-17 because there's a lot of female nudity. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that's their reason for it. Anyway, I, I guess I'm just saying, like, you'll be fine. It's worth watching. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this has been uh, the latest episode of It's on the List. Thanks for listening. And again, I'm Sammy Holty. And I'm Jerry Hartman. And we'll catch you next time. <laughs>